to sit, one hand. Oh, oh, oh. oh the post is broken, Matthews hit it. Oh, talk about a he-man. Green rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. This is your Football Life with Rex Hunt. Burks Open Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Thank you very much to you, Barry. And the VFL-AFL is a wonderful Australian game and thousands of men have played the game at this, the highest level. Some play and move on, others have more of an impact. A select few make a lasting impression that will indelibly be recorded in the history of the game forever. And today's guest arrived at Arden Street, North Melbourne in 1968. Played 124 games for the Kangas and then four for the Caringbush Collingwood. He's a two-time premiership player. Three times leading goal kicker, a Sid Barker medalist and a member of the North Melbourne team of the century. It's my pleasure to say welcome to Slamming Sammy Kekovic. G'day, Rexy. How are you, mate? Well, I'm absolutely <clears throat> delighted that you've taken the time. And before we go back to you in shorts, uh, running around the banks of the Murray River and in Western Australia, Lou Richards, who is getting to the twilight of a wonderful, wonderful life. They gave a statue in, uh, in recognition of his uh, game. He actually gave you the name Slamming Sammy Kekovic. Well, actually, it's a point of conjecture, really. I think... Uh, I knew it had to be. Well, no, some <laughs> say it was Jack Dyer. I see. Because Jack and him, I think, were the same day. But it could have been, I could be uh, wrong, and I'll... I'll succumb to wiser counsel here, Rex, in that regard. Born in Western Australia and then moving to Gunbower on the banks of the Murray River near Echuca and then to Myrtleford. Tell us in between getting to Myrtleford at senior level at 15 years of age, what you did as a kid and where football sat with you as an interest as a young child. Well, it'd be fair to say as a baby boomer, Rex and you would dilute to this. I mean to say we're in the same boat. As a kid, we only had uh, one manic obsession. That was to play league football. That was every kid's great dream, is to play footy. And uh, at the school grounds, we wore our heroes' jumpers. We tumbled around the sand pit. We tried to emulate the feats of our superstars. We used to try to mark like them, kick like them, talk like them, walk like them. And uh, it was uh, everyone's dream. You know, it's fair to say that the, uh, none of us joined the Mensa class or you know, any high levels of academia. But sport was uh, very much the forefront. It was a wonderful catalyst in terms of binding Australia together. At 15 years of age, you made your senior debut in the Ovens and Murray League, uh, which was probably, apart from VFA, the pinnacle of senior football around. You had the Latrobe Valley, you had the Hamden League, and then the Ovens and Murray. The Carnivals each year just saw some sensational football, and kids make it at the highest level. Tell us about you coming through as a young adult in the Ovens and Murray League. Well, the Abbas and Murray, as you rightfully pointed out, was the, one, was the Premier League of the competition. Well, up there with the Hampton League, but it became certainly the Premier League a couple of years later. And in those days, you've got to understand, rural Australia or country Australia or country Victoria in my case, you know, league football has left at a very early age because all the wealth was in the country. They could lure people like the Wiedemans who coached Albury. Bob Rose. Bob Roses, Martin Crosses, yeah. Ron Branton's. You know, players that were still in their prime that came across the country because the bush had a lot of money and could really set these people up. But, of course, came with that a lot of wealth of knowledge and still a lot of footballing prowess. And, of course, to be a part of that scene in those days, you know, every, every conceivable name in the game would come through our, our town, you know, because of that association. When you showed above average uh, ability... 
Uh, now, of course, you go through a draft and you've got to go through, you know, the we went through the under-17s, under-19s. Mm. How many of the 12 league sides actually made an approach to you before you settled at Arden Street? Oh, look, manifest modesty will preclude me uh, elaborating and revealing <laughs> How many, <that> Sam? <laughs> How many is it a dozen? <laughs> exactly. You arrived at Arden Street in 1968, which, 68, which yeah. was my first year as well. Uh, you played 13 games, but your standout year and your arrival was really signalled in 1969. That probably, in your memory, was when you were at the top of your game and had as much confidence in that absolute leviathan uh, uh, physical appearance that I've ever, ever seen. Because I remember Tommy Hapey said once, you're scared of him. And uh, we were. <laughs> no, 69 was a standout year, but the irony prior to that was I had a brother who played for Carlton, Brian. Yeah, in a premiership side. In a premiership side, exactly. And it went in 68. But it was also a given that I would automatically follow Brian to uh, Carlton. But, of course, that wonderful, wonderful thing popped up overnight yeah. called Zoni. Yeah. And Zoni, of course, as you'd know, uh, the premier, the premier uh, country zone or the country league, which was the Ovens and Murray, was allocated to the worst-performed VFL side. Yeah. So North Melbourne automatically got the Ovens and Murray. So all contracts and all deals done... Prior to that, were null and void. Fitzroy uh, got the Hamden League. Well, and, they got uh, that, and, and, and Carlton got the Bendigo and League. And uh, St Kilda got the Ballarat League. Well, it was exactly. just amazing, wasn't it's it? amazing stuff. Well, I'd already gone and made provision. You know, I was living in Carlton. I was going to Carlton. Uh, and then all of a sudden, overnight, within and I'm talking about overnight, for 24 hours, 48 hours, all of a sudden, I found myself at Arden Street, and that's the only option I had. After that 69, uh, well, I think Richmond won the flag, and so I don't think I know Richmond won the flag in 1969. Uh, in the off-season, you injured yourself, and this is just a no-no now where blokes have to, you know, they can't go water skiing, they can't go snow skiing, mm. but you decide to have a game of soccer, which really interrupted your momentum big time. Well, it did. Uh, well, in those days, you know, there was no such thing. You know, we talk about the professionalism of the game and, you know, individual contracts and player managers and, you know, there was none of that. In that you know, we grew up on the basis that, you know, we were spawned on cricket in the summer, you know, basketball, then footy in the winter. And I just happened to be invited by Harry Beitzel at the time, who had the Galahs, remember? Yeah. And we were playing, I think, from memory, uh, Romania in a soccer game. And I happened to be the goalie and... I remember, you know, having about five kicked on me in about seven minutes. I got frustrated, so I thought I'd run and chase the ball. Yeah. And I got to the centre of the ground, and I pivoted on a five-cent piece, or, you know, a coin of that description. <laughs> might have been a 50-cent piece. A bit. And I heard, my, <laughs> I heard my crucian snap. Yeah. And luckily at the time, Doc Rowett was there. Remember Doc Rowett? The, yeah, I do. Uh, the North, uh, the Melbourne. Centre-half back Melbourne premiership player. Back, Melbourne, yeah. yeah. And, of course, they took me straight down to... John Grant, yeah. who was the doyen of orthopaedics at the time, who happened to be the North Melbourne orthopaedic surgeon. Yeah. We rushed us straight down to Queenscliff. I think he had a holiday house, so that upset his uh, evening. Monday the following day, got diagnosed, x-rayed, and you know, I did my cruciate. But yeah. in those days, I think Johnny Townsend might have been the first. And in those days, if you had a cruciate, let me tell you, the operations were vastly different. In those well, days, we had a newspaper called The Truth, which came out every yeah. week. It out, I think it outsold every uh, newspaper in Australia for the page yeah. three girl, for yeah. Jack Ailing uh, heart bomb, and uh, you, a lot of blokes uh, remember the heart bomb that, uh, you know, uh, I was found in a situation, yeah. that sort of thing. Dear Dorothy, and, how and, do I fix this? And, and you, <laughs> for some reason, decided to be photographed uh, nude with, a, uh, I think, a little football in front of the nether regions. Tell us a bit about that and how delighted uh, the power brokers at 
Arden Street were when that uh, Truth newspaper came out? Well, it's fair to say that I certainly did uh, raise their ire. But more importantly, and you would know Rex as well as I would, there was not much money in our game at the mm. time. And, uh, you know, like Errol Flynn, I had great difficulty... <laughs> Like great difficulties reconciling my gross habits with my net income. <laughs> so I thought I would augment my mere income. You would what? Augment or that mean? sort of supplement. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> supplement my mere income. Just understand income. that all the listening audience around Australia, Sam, are not uh, intellects like you. Well, what you should also understand, my dear friend, you'd be surprised who your audience is. Yeah. There's some very intellectual people out there. <laughs> the Jesuits listen to this. Who? The Jesuits. Oh, thank you very much. And all the best to the Jesuit family. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, we're talking about so the truth. and they yeah, So anyhow, happy. I thought, well, gee, this is a nice way to just supplement a mere income. This will give me a bit more uh, tarmac to uh, do a few of the uh, extracurricular activities that I found that I loved <laughs> to, in a roundabout way, explain exactly. it. I think you understand. Get my drift. This is slamming Sam Kekovic, a, a fantastic character of our game, and we're celebrating the life, although he's not going to the Tobin Brothers yet. Every year, hundreds of people take out a fixed-price funeral plan, and Tobin Brothers funerals, by doing this, have the peace of mind that they're knowing that regardless of how long they live, the price they pay today is fixed forever. So why not celebrate your life with a fixed-price funeral plan from Tobin Brothers Funerals? And out of the break with the kindest regards of Tobin Brothers, slamming Sammy Kekovic gets a great shock when Ron Barassi, the legend himself, joins his fellow players at Arden Street. And right around Australia, this is your football life. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. So slamming Sammy Kekovic joins us on This Is Your Football Life with the kindest regards of Tobin Brothers. Uh, before we get into what was a magical time when Barassi arrived at Arden Street and changed the whole culture, the biggest disappointment for you was the tragic loss of your brother Michael in tragic circumstances. That must have knocked the absolute gas out of you. Oh, that was a dark, a dark, dark day. Yeah, to see for the folks, for the family, you know, just a shocker. Well, Unless you've gone through it, you really don't understand. You know, we pick up the tissues every day. We flick through it and we say, gee, that's a tragedy. Those two girls have got, you know, tragically uh, murdered by, you know, the husband, by their father. You see other shocking, heinous crimes. And you think, oh, what a tragedy. Those poor people, what they've got to endure and what they've got to suffer. But when you see it yourself, and, you know, more importantly, see what your parents have got to endure and go through, it is devastating. But, you know... Having said that, we're all confronted with, you know, challenges and we're confronted with, uh, you know, undulations in our life. We've just got to move on and make it as good as we can for those that are still with us. So it wasn't easy. Oh, just tragic. The, the arrival of Barassi signalled just a change of culture 
but also it uh, coincided with a rule that was quickly taken out of the Constitution called the 10-year rule, mm. where blokes who had played 10 years with a club could get an open clearance. And Doug Wade, John Rantel and Barry Davis joined you with the likes of Malcolm Blight and uh, uh, Johnny Burns in the centre. Uh, you and Brightus were already there, but it was just the coming together of a wonderful group of players who became household names in North Melbourne's greatest era. There's no doubt, uh, Rex, that the tides had all come together and, you know, uh, it's almost the building of the pyramids. You know, the Euphrates and, the, you know, the Tigris rivers and the tides and the whatever and the moon, the lunar system. Call it what you like, but uh, that was certainly the icing on the cake and, you know, it would be understatement to say that they'd, they'd played a pivotal role. They were magnificent. They only made a magnificent contribution, but they quickly, uh, you know, eked their way into the North Melbourne fabric and became a part of the culture and became a genuine part of North Melbourne. They weren't just there for the wrong reasons. They were genuinely, you know, keen to be involved, part of the game and part of a great movement, you know. North Melbourne was such an innovative club. It was almost like Hollywood to a degree. Were the, you know, North Melbourne were the, uh, the genesis of so many, so many fundamentals that we take for granted of the game now in terms of marketing, in terms of, uh, you know putting the game on a pedestal, you know, uh, it was just outstanding. It's the sensational period in, in our lives. Do you think the loss to Richmond in 1974 was a godsend because perhaps if success had come too soon, uh, it might not sort of had the right desired effect that in 1975 against Hawthorne, you were almost unbeatable because of your total uh, commitment as a group to go one better? Well, there's two pockets of thought in that regard. I guess if you ask the uh, the St Kilda players in 1966, you know, that lost to Collingwood, would that enamel you and steal you and, you know, be a wonderful catalyst for success in the future? Sam, I just think that Collingwood lost against St Kilda in 1966. Well, you probably... Well, sorry, Collingwood. That's I mean, all right. You're sorry, I uh, recant that statement. Thank you. Or, you, you recant it. Yeah, I'll take it back. Thank you. But do you think that they would have waited that many years before their next success? No, not no. at all. They would have thought... So in this game, there's no guarantees. Yeah. Who's to say that the, you know, the vanquished of the previous years automatically gifted the, uh, the privilege of raising the Holy Grail the following year? No, we weren't. But I'll tell you what it did do. It brought us together, and we had a, just a manic obsession to get ourselves over the line. If you knew the events that transpired that night directly afterwards, when Ron Barassi vilified or lambasted us publicly on a stage, like I don't think anyone in the footballing world would have been even remotely conditioned to accept that uh, to, you know, tirade of invective and unbridled abuse. That might have been touched in John Power's book, who covered the season in 1977 yes. later on. And uh, I remember Barassi just absolutely lambasting everybody, but it had to be said, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I think that, that then gave you the message that I, you ran second, but it, you might as well run 12th. That's right. And it's as simple as that. And more importantly, at North Melbourne, that was... Uh, you know, we were never conditioned for that. I yeah. mean, so running second or an honourable loss. Well, in a lot of cases, you know, was recognised, you know, as a fairly good performance. 1975 Premiership photo. Despite the fact that I've got bifocals, I still can't see you in there. There's been a lot of, uh, let's say, conjecture, a lot of speculation. I'm looking you right in the face now and I'm eyeballing you slamming Sam Kegovich. Why did you miss the 1975 Premiership photo? You're breaking up, mate. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> we must be... 
<laughs> well, there, it has been a big point of conjecture. Look, a lot of people know where I was. Uh, some aren't quite certain. But I tell you what, it's been a good talking point for a long, long time. It's taken me around the world, I think. Suffice to say that the people, the person who knows might be a member of the other gender? <laughs> oh, it's fair to say that, I, you know, I guess that being boastful, I had a fair degree of success over the drip tray as <laughs> a member of the fairer sex race. Not dissimilar to your good self, mate. Oh, thanks very much you for know. bringing it up, Sam. Absolutely magnificent. <laughs> Why did you only play 124 games for North? And, very good uh, point. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you too, and I'll be implicitly candid with you. I think I lacked the level of commitment necessary. I had some horrific injuries early in my career, uh, and I certainly didn't do the rehab that I should have done, thinking that I could just get away with it on pure ability. Mm. But uh, as I learned later on, that's not the case. And after we'd won the flag, I've got to be, uh, I think I lost a bit of interest in the game as well. But uh, So there's a combination of factors, and I'm not showing away from the fact that the general consensus of opinion was that I was lazy. The reality was that I'd won a Best Clubman Award at uh, Myrtleford and also at North, uh, and I trained. I loved training and I loved being at the game in my early years. But as I copped that, uh, my injuries... And I guess, and to be perfectly frank also, I enjoyed the bright lights and neon signs. I, I'd be foolish to state that I didn't enjoy the start and that came with, uh, with, with my status in the game. And I probably didn't handle that as well as perhaps I should have. The other side of the coin, although you at the time were at uh, North Melbourne Arden Street at the right time, like I was at Richmond at the right yeah. time, my dear friend uh, Stan Ells went to Melbourne after they had played in every final series for so many years and never played a final in 270 games, went to Arden Street and played two grand finals in the one year and did a cartwheel and still has his uh, premiership medallion wrapped up like the family jewels. Uh, what does your two uh, premiership medallions mean to well, you now that you're down you know, the wrong side of 60? Well, Rex, you know, the ultimate affirmation for any footballer is to play in a grand final. And I guess in our day, in, in my time, or our premiership, in 1975, it was a first ever. So since our inception in 1925, that's 50 years it took us to win our first ever. And I always remember the words of the great Alan Killer group that were emblazoned in our social club wall, which meant absolutely zilch to me when I first arrived at North Melbourne in 1968, but they meant a heck of a lot of to me later on, when emblazoned on the wall with the prophetic words of the great orator, Alan Killigrew, he said the 20 players that bring home North Melbourne's first ever premiership will gain football immortality. Now, I never even understood what that meant. Yeah. And I get whether you would have in but those you days. you do now. But I tell you what you do too mm, now. Too I do. You know, without that premiership under your belt, you almost have a sense of not belonging. And there's so many greats out there. And I shouldn't say there's a sense of belonging. Of course they do, because they're great to the game. But I guarantee each and every one of them, the Murrays, the Newmans, the Skiltons, you'd ask any of them, would they trade half their games or all their games or all their trinkets for a premiership medallion? And the answer would be, uh, would be rhetorical. Many people go to the Sam Kekovic School of Hard Knocks. You've been knocked down more than a punch-struck uh, fighter. And the thing about it is, is you keep on getting up and annoying the hell out of those that want you to stay down. But at the moment, you're just uh, all over the screens just uh, saying how good lamb is to eat, and it's, it's a bad, bad thing for the sheep population. Uh, but the thing about it is this, that you're never down, and uh, it, it must have started as a kid, that heart in there, because it's bigger than your very own body. Oh, well, you've got to understand my upbringing. I mean, so I came from parents from war-torn Europe that arrived here with nothing. 
rolled up their sleeves, uh, learnt the language, respect the laws, respect their women, became leaders of their community, and became, you know, with the wogs and the dagos, but then they became, through their wit and their sense of humour, became the true Australians. They built this country. And built and, and built the country and became proud of their kids, took us to sport, took us to everywhere we went. And in those days, on a sunny day, a handkerchief wasn't something that you just eased the nasal residue into. It was something that you tied a knot in the four corners and made a hat to protect you from the sun. Exactly, and we didn't have... Uh, iPads or Playstations, we used to improvise and build billy carts, come down the side of a hill with 100 miles an hour without any seatbelts. Yeah. Few abrasions, bit of Mercura crane, kick up the arse and went straight back up there. And we ate a few snails and played few in the snails, dirt and that sort of thing. Six mouths drank out of the same glass. Did anything happen to us? No. Yeah. We wouldn't know what a key was. A key, what was a key? A key was a formula. Nothing was locked. Everything was open. Well, it's going to be a while, I think, before Sam goes to the Tobin Brothers, but attending a funeral at any one of the Tobin Brothers' 21 chapels is now just a phone call away. Those unable to be at a funeral in person for reasons of illness, cost or tyranny of distance, sounds like you, Sam, can still be there in voice by recording a telephone tribute the day before the service. For more information, go to tobinbrothers.com.au or call 93737000. You are interested in thoroughbred horse racing like I'm interested in it, for the magnificent beasts that give us so much fun and we always hang on the fact that we might get a good one. Lynn and I are continually having horses that are named Shinsornis, but one day we might get something. One of the greatest hurdlers of its time was lots of time. Tell us about the horse, the owners... And a little bit about the controversy uh, that went with it, exactly. Well, lots of time I stumbled across it. Certainly wasn't mine. Lots of time belonged to Sally Wood, a woman that I met later on in life, uh, as still part of the uh, equation, with I think with Jimmy Hannon, who owned the horse. So they owned the horse, and I was a part towards the end of it when I met uh, Sally, the fine lady, and. Uh, I think it won about 12 or 13 on end. It was a Grand National. I just forget who the hoop was, but we have it on fairly good authority. The evidence was fairly compelling that uh, it was given a bit of a reef and uh, didn't quite make it to 14. Would uh, the man's name be uh, a fellow by the name of Costello? I think he got very warm. <laughs> <laughs> was I think in... that's about 18. All right. Well, let's 38, le- the game of Scrabble. Well, let's not declare it, but were his initials George Costello? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a colourful game, our racing oh, game. Oh, just right? wonderful. Yeah, wonderful, isn't it? And, and you just love it. You do, don't you? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, to say, racing people are fair and We talk about the school of hard knocks. But, you know, they're fairly uh, persistent, resilient, and they exude all the wonderful qualities of being Australian. You know, we love a beer, we love a punt, we love a chat. We're reverent, you know, we're self-deprecating, we've got a, you know, we've got a spirit for life. So I think it's fantastic. Well, our time together is up, and we could go on and on and on, but uh, I think we've probably... Let me just say this on behalf of you, Sam. If Sam and I haven't offended you today, please be patient, we will get to you. Oh, no doubt. This is not the end, is it? Uh, this is it. Oh, well, well it's yeah. not the end because if it was the end, you're off to Tobin Brothers, well, who are grand supporters of the North Melbourne Football Club. They are indeed. And uh, as I said, they did. Uh, our burial of Michael was conducted at Tobin Brothers. Uh, so we do have fond memories. Well, fond memories. We have memories of that. Uh, so, yeah. So if we haven't offended you, like this has only been a pit stop. As, uh, as they say in the classics, it's another train station. You get your bag, you take it off and you reload somewhere else down the line. Where that may be, who knows? I've never been good in terms of uh, providing for tomorrow or 
caring about tomorrow because tomorrow is promised to no one. Live the moment and uh, rejoice living Just in the best country on the planet. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. And, folks, if you'd like to hear the extended version of this interview, check out facebook.com forward slash Tobin Brothers Funerals or follow us on Twitter at Rex Football Life. And this has been This Is Your Football Life with thanks to Tobin Brothers, and we're celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives.